Good morning again. Uh, Chris is out of town this morning, this week, and so we are going to be jumping into Revelation 5. Let's, uh, let's read God's Word together this morning. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. For you have made them a kingdom of priests, a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you come and fill this place this morning, uh, fill our hearts, that we may uh, get a better picture of who you are. In the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. Sometimes Will Ferrell hits the nail on the head. Uh, He's crude and he's crass. I'm not saying you should go out and watch all of his movies. Uh, But a few weeks ago, Pastor Chris's sermon title was in Latin, so I think we can bring down the intellectual average here a little bit. One of his characters is named Ricky Bobby. Right? He's a, a Christian, uh, and he prays before his meals. But this is how he begins his prayer. Dear tiny Jesus, golden fleece diapers, with your tiny, fat, balled-up fist. And his wife responds, uh, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him a baby. And this is how Ricky Bobby responds. I like the Christmas Jesus when I'm saying grace. And he continues. Dear eight pounds, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet, just a little infant, so cuddly but still omnipotent. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. It's a a funny moment. I laugh every time, even though, again, it is a little crude. Unfortunately, it does sometimes hit a little close to home. 
Um, we also have a tendency to reduce Jesus to a caricature. And so today we're going to talk about who this Jesus really is. Our text pushes us in this direction. Let's look at it. John's in heaven, right? He's observing this um, really salvation story that takes place in Revelation. Um, And there is a scroll that all of heaven is desperate to understand. This scroll, as we find out, is God's plan. Uh, And if it cannot be opened, John is afraid that it will not be carried out. And John weeps at the thought of this. But one of the elders, who is around the throne worshiping God, tells John to look. And he says, look and see the Lion of Judah, the Root of David. These two images come from the Old Testament. They're the images of the Messiah. They're images of strength. But John looks, and what does he see? He doesn't see a lion. He doesn't see a tree. He sees a lamb, a slain lamb. Was the elder wrong? No, not at all. In fact, the lamb's seven horns even denote the completeness of his power. Jesus is the Lion of Judah, but he does not shy away from being the slain lamb as well. And this is what we need to hold in tension. Jesus is not one thing. We follow Ricky Bobby's example more than we'd like to admit. We pick and choose who we want Jesus to be, who we're comfortable with Jesus being. Sometimes we talk about Jesus as the love everyone guy. He just wants everyone to feel good about themselves. Sometimes we talk about Jesus as the forgiveness guy, right? Jesus is all about saying it's okay for any bad things that you might have done. For Protestants, sometimes Jesus is the faith alone guy who doesn't ask us to do anything. Just as concerning, sometimes Jesus is the authoritative king, right? That may sound quite startling, but um, one of the most popular Christian books in the past few years is the book Gentle and Lowly, right? Dana Ortland writes a book um, exploring what Jesus talks about when he says, Uh, that he is gentle and humble in heart. And this took the Christian world by storm. It's a good book, but it's nothing revolutionary unless we have forgotten that Jesus describes himself this way, that Jesus is, in fact, gentle and lowly. See, all of these things are good and true things, but we can't take any of them independently. We can't take any of them out of context, out of the fullness of who Jesus is. Which of these things sound wrong to you? Jesus expects you to give up your allegiance to your political party. Jesus expects you to give up your Sunday mornings. Jesus is the Lord of the universe. Jesus is the Lord of your bank account. Jesus commands you to do his will in your personal life. What about Jesus commands your unbelieving neighbor 
to do His will in their personal life. All of these things are true, and yet we are comfortable with some of them and uncomfortable with others. So, how can we come to know Jesus as He really is? I was going to do a whole section on how to know if you're reducing Jesus to one particular caricature, Um, but I'll save you the time because it is New Year's morning. We're all doing it, all right? It's a natural instinct. So let's just get right to how do we address this. The first way that we can address it is by reading Scripture. Scripture gives us countless depictions of Jesus, countless true depictions of Jesus, all ways that adequately or accurately express who Jesus is and together give us a complete picture. Psalm 2 depicts Jesus as a king who will destroy those who oppose him like an iron rod smashes clay pots. Revelation 19 depicts Jesus as a warrior slaughtering his enemies, covered in blood, and calling birds to feast on the dead. He's the Lion of Judah. But Scripture also tells us the Christmas story. In the early church, there was actually quite a fight over this term. Uh, Chris has used it a couple times, theotokos. It means God-bearer, right? The question was, can we call Mary the God-bearer? But the question really wasn't about Mary at all. The question was this. Can we really say that Jesus, the God-man, suffered the indignity of being a fetus? Of being born? There's, There's a few months in a baby's life where the most exciting thing they do is to poop. Right? Can we say that's true about Jesus? Are we comfortable with that? Are we comfortable saying that Jesus was an infant? In fact, as the Gospels unfold, this becomes a theme. We keep being surprised by Jesus. Everyone in the Gospels keeps being surprised as they learn more about Jesus. Our sacred reading this morning is the story of Mary and Joseph going to the temple or going to Jerusalem and Jesus sticking around, right? And they can't figure this out. And Jesus is like, well, no, this is the most natural thing in the world. And Mary and Joseph are surprised, right? It, it, scripture tells us that Mary pondered these things in her heart, treasured these things in her heart. But Mary and Joseph were around when Jesus was born, right? They both got visits from angels. They got visits from shepherds who had gotten visits from angels, They got visited and gifted from wise men, right? They had, they knew this child was something special, and yet they are surprised. As they learn more about Jesus, they are surprised by him. In John 1, Jesus astounds Nathanael, who's one of the disciples, uh, by telling him that he saw Nathanael under the fig tree, right? But then he tells him, you will see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What he's saying here is this, I am Jacob's ladder. I am the connection between heaven and earth. Then there's the calming of the storm. First, the disciples are afraid of the wind and the waves. But when those things respond to Jesus' command, 
then they realize that he's the one that they really need to be afraid of. The scripture tells us that after the waves and the wind are calmed, that's when they're filled with great fear. Or there's the woman at the well to whom Jesus reveals himself, despite the checkered past that she has and that he knows all about. But Jesus' revelations of himself aren't even complete then. At the end of the Gospels, Peter still thinks that Jesus needs his sword. The other disciples also think that Jesus' capture means his failure. None of them are able to see what the Gospel authors want us to see, that Jesus' shame and death are his moments of greatest triumph. So which of these things do we latch on to? Which of these depictions do we wrestle with? And which do we just ignore entirely? One of my wife's great frustrations with me um, is how unconcerned I am with my clothing. Um, I tend not to put a lot of work into how I dress. And she'll often say things like, why don't you get these shoes that are on sale? They look really nice. Or maybe you could ask for some uh, nice shirts for Christmas. And I kind of, eh, yeah, maybe. Um, but my brother-in-law pointed out that when he met me, uh, when we had just started dating, there were holes in my shoes that were so large that he could see my socks every time I took a step. Okay? What, when someone tells you who they are, it makes sense to listen to who they are, right? Otherwise, you end up married to someone who doesn't pay any attention to his shoes. But I was talking with someone recently who told me that she didn't like the kind of Christian that I am. Um, because I'm the kind of Christian who talks about sin and about judgment. And I asked her, well, didn't Jesus talk about sin and judgment? And, uh, and she said this. She said that she was more interested in the themes of Scripture than in the particular verses. And don't get me wrong. It is critically important to pay attention to the themes of Scripture we need to understand the arc of Scripture, how it all comes together. But we can't ignore the specific things that Scripture says either. Scripture is God's revelation of himself to us. This is what he wants us to know about himself. And when someone tells you who they are, it makes sense to listen. So the first way to expand our understanding of Jesus is to read what he's revealed about himself in Scripture. The second way is to engage with fellow Christians. See, we all have distorted or incomplete pictures of Jesus, but they're incomplete and distorted in different ways. We emphasize different things. We understand different things based on who we are, in our life experiences, the way we've been formed. And when these things come together, we can, we can better understand each other, or we can better understand Jesus with each other. Iron sharpens iron, Scripture tells us. If you struggle with hearing about Jesus as a liberator, perhaps you don't have a deep relationship with someone who has been oppressed, who understands what that means. 
Maybe you need to get to know someone who knows firsthand that the American dream is not all it's cracked up to be. Maybe you need to meet someone who has seen the dark side of social systems that protect the positions of people like me. Or maybe we struggle about hearing about Jesus as a judge, right? Perhaps because we don't see the sinfulness of sin. Or perhaps because we don't know what it means to be victimized by real, powerful evil. And then we would do well to listen to someone like Rachel Den Hollander, who not only suffered evil herself, but has suffered more evil in her prophetic mission to root evil out of the church. People like this are in your life already, but they may be afraid to speak up because they've been told to be quiet so many times. We can learn more about Jesus by listening to each other. But the third way to encounter the real Jesus is to combine these two things. Combine Jesus' word and his people here in the church. Each week, we as a community gather to hear God speak to us. And we get great feedback that Pastor Chris is preaching excellent sermons. But I'm not sure that people realize how hard he works to try to help the congregation encounter Jesus. Do we come hungry to meet Jesus? I'm enriched by Chris's annual sermon about welcoming Jesus into our wombs. That is not something that I would come up with on my own, and I am enriched by hearing it from the pulpit. And we are blessed to have that opportunity. But where's the grace in this sermon, right? Just spent 20 minutes talking about how we are messed up and things that we can do. And I don't want to um, talk about grace in a way that negates what I've just said. We are truly impoverished by our failure to see Jesus as the person that he truly is. And we can really do things to address that. But there is grace here. And the grace is this. Jesus is not a concept. He's a person. All right? That may sound a little trivial, but it's actually very important. In Buddhism, the goal of life is that you reach enlightenment, right? You become enlightened enough, you lose your passions, and you enter nirvana. You lose yourself in the oneness of the universe. In Hinduism, the goal of life is to achieve enough karma to escape the cycle of reincarnation. These are subjective concepts. They are up to you. As you achieve them, they apply more and more to you. And that's not what we see in our text this morning. You and I aren't even mentioned as actors in this text. John's only role here is to witness what happens. The actor in this story is the Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain. He is the one who conquered. He is worthy to look at the scroll of God's plan, and he is worthy to unroll it and bring it about. 
He is the one about whom the creatures and elders sing. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Jesus did not wait for us to grasp who he is. Jesus did not wait for us to reach an appropriate mental state or to pass a test of doctrine. He entered into history, into Mary's womb, so that we could know him. And before we knew him, he ransomed us for God so that he could make us into his own kingdom, into priests who know him and who he is. Let's pray together to that, to that Savior. Jesus Christ, Son of God, you entered into our world. You came to us so that we could know you. And you work in the world, in the church, and in us, whether we know you as perfectly as we should, or whether we keep praying to eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus. You are the Lord of the universe. And we, we can only respond to what you do. Help us to know you better. Help us to see you as you really are and to love you as you really are. In your name, amen.